Welcome to episode 115 of the Never Iron Anything Comics Review podcast. This week is week two of the mini-series I have named Old Blokes Read Manga. Um, an old bloke joining me on this road to knowledge is that wandering comic samurai, the head executioner of the Mega City Comics Book Club podcast, it's Eamon Clark. How you doing, mate? You right? Greetings, Sensei. Hello, Tony. How you doing? Good. Um, I'm going to wager I'm possibly the oldest of your oldest of your old blokes as well. You keep telling me you're really old. I don't. You don't look old, Eamon, Do you? Thank you. It's you it's yeah. It's um. It's all the comics. <laughs> Somebody accused me of dyeing my hair the other day. I'm a bit like you, haven't I? We're not like overly grey for our age, are we? And uh, no. somebody kept accusing me the other day of dyeing it. Nah, you dye it, don't you? And I'm a bit like that. I said, I don't really dye it. I'm actually desperate to get grey hairs now. Oh, yeah. Okay. All on right. Top. Well, I'll tell you some things that will turn your hair white and then we'll go. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Um, how have things been? Um, it's about a month or so since we spoke last, isn't it? Yeah, it's our regular monthly catch-up, and it's been good. Yeah, it's been good. We're very busy with the uh, Mega City Book Club, which we'll talk about later, and also reading a lot of manga because yeah. of you. Um, good. So that's good as well. Yeah, Yeah, you've been posting some stuff in the Slack, which is stuff that you, we'll talk about in a bit, but it's stuff, older stuff, in a different version, which I'm quite jealous of. Um, yeah. But going back to the start for you, Eamon, is where, where did you first get your exposure to manga? I mean, I'm, I'm also counting unusually for the show as anime as well because i think there is a, a bigger crossover where did you first see it do you know i managed to work this out Tony. right listening to your <laughs> conversation with rich sheep i managed to work out my first exposure to manga and i reckon it was issue one of daredevils the british the marvel uk title from 1983 yeah which um had back matter had a articles and then that was when alan moore used to write articles for them and yeah. he wrote an article about frank Miller's Daredevil, and in that article, he mentioned Frank Miller's uh, love of um, manga and how Daredevil sort of owed something to that. And then a few issues later, in the same, in the Marvel UK Daredevils, they had another another article entirely about Japanese comics, which I I misremembered as being Alan Moore again, but it was actually I, I looked back and it was Steve Moore. Okay. And he talks about um, manga. And actually, I reckon that, 1983, I think that's the first time I'd actually heard of manga uh, as a concept at all. Um, and this whole world or this whole, you know, sort of nation of comics and how everybody read comics there, everybody read manga, and it was manga about every possible subject. And it was fascinating. But I wouldn't actually get my hands on any for another couple of years, I'm afraid. Yeah. I was the same man, and it was one of those weird ones. People, the, the kids of today don't appreciate the fact that it wasn't everything wasn't at our fingertips. You know, all knowledge, all comics, all movies, all anything you want now, apart from Neil Young albums, are at our fingertips, aren't they? They're immediately available to us, and um, we just we were told about these marvelous things by you know that comic, and we just there was no way we would ever get them. It was the way I saw it, you know, um, at the time, and. and I think I think you sent me a picture of it. Some of it was Lone Wolf and Cub, wasn't it? Is that right? Some of the images. Well, Lone Wolf and Cub was big in the late nineteen eighties in comics. Yeah. Because um, I looked this up, it was uh, was it nineteen eighty seven by First Comics. Yes. Um, prestige and, format, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, prestige format. Um, First Comics started to reprint Lone Wolf and Cub in the US. They did it with 
Frank Miller, uh, or at least Frank Miller did covers for them for the first 12, I think, and he wrote introductions for them as well. Oh, nice. And I remember, because, you know, Frank Miller was huge at the time, and, you know, we've, you and I have talked about Frank Miller and, um, you know, his importance, you know, the way he changed comics. Oh, and if Frank Miller yeah. said, yeah, and if Frank Miller said in something like Amazing Heroes or whatever I was reading at the time, read Lone Wolf and Cub, uh, and here's a new series coming out. So, yes, I went out and bought Lone Wolf and Cub, and I got that regularly. Um, I also got Akira, I think, a year later, because Marvel Epic, thanks to Archie Goodwin, um, yeah. started reprinting Akira. And so I got that as well. Those were the ones that we could you know, get hold of. Um and yeah, I lapped all that up at the time. Yeah, it was fantastic. If Frank Miller said, "Read this stuff," I was reading it. Yeah, we were all over him at the time, weren't we? Because of Daredevil onwards. And the thing is, with yeah, the prestige format stuff is it was printed in a Western format. Um, it was printed in American comic size, and it was um, in these nice sort of prestige comics. Akira and Lone Wolf, I think, were both were like that, weren't they? So in the old they what were. we called the Dark Knight Returns format. Which we were like, whenever they released a comic like that, no matter what it was at the time, we would grab it, wouldn't we? Because they were sort of few and far between. Oh, and absolutely. had the reputation of being good quality as well, I think. Yeah, they were great comics. And yeah, they were good quality. And I pulled out the Lone Wolf and Cub issues. I haven't been able to find the Akira issues, but they're there somewhere. Yeah. But yeah, they were prestige format. They're nicely bound, um, reasonable paper, good reproduction in uh, introductions by Frank Miller his beautiful covers, which I've been posting on the Slack group recently. Yeah, incredible. Interestingly, yeah. Um, you know, because I recently got the digital collection of the first volume of Lone Wolf and Cub, which is pretty cheap on Comixology or Amazon, or as we have to now call them. Yeah. Um, and interestingly, uh, not, they did two things. First of all, of course, they have to flip the pages. So they decided to print them left to right. So they did some sort of horizontal page flipping although they didn't flip all the panels sometimes okay because of the way the story yeah. was laid out yeah they would not flip certain panels and so the samurai or the ronin in lone wolf and cub um you know his sword hand flips quite a bit which i always find a little bit confusing so that i noticed that the other thing that's very interesting i were going back and comparing the comics uh, the american comics with the original is because um, they started with the origin story in issue one of the first comics, the American reprint. Whereas in the actual original Lone Wolf and Cub, you don't get the origin story for about nine or ten issues. Okay. Um, you know, it starts in media res with him pushing the baby carriage with his son and everything. And you don't find out the backstory until later. But of course, American comics, you've got to have an origin story. That was the story, tradition, wasn't it? Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, and I only noticed that recently. I only picked up on that when I went back and started comparing it with the digital version. But yeah, Lone Wolf and Cub, Akira. I mean, there were, I suppose there were kids' cartoon. Yeah, that's the thing. I Like stuff so about we, Battle of the Planets, and I'm guessing Ulysses 31, and that sort of thing, wasn't there? Yeah. Ro Robotech. And Marine yeah. Boy. Do you remember yes. Marine Boy? Yeah, yeah. Um, and, I, you know, we didn't, I wouldn't, I've known to have called them anime. I just knew them as like, you know, Saturday cartoon. Yeah, I mean, me and my friends the, were talking uh, about it once and one of them told me they were French and I just believed it, you know, but, you know, it's yeah. just nonsense because kids talk nonsense. But yeah, no, totally. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's interesting. And there had been, there had been, 
I was going to say there had been some manga printed in in the in you know in the West before Lone Wolf and Curb and Akira, um, but I had no exposure to those at all. Um, you know, no, it was Frank Miller basically who did it. It's all his fault. Yeah, I agree. That's that's pretty much almost the same word for word about how how I experienced it as well. And I think the thing is as well is when we started seeing the Frank Miller covers. I began to start joining the dots, even at sort of quite a young, young age, to his style and his influences because he was seemingly getting quite a lot from those comics. Where I'm guessing he'd seen them bef- before us as well, you know? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. He'd seen them at some point, goodness knows how. And he, you know, heavily influenced uh, Daredevil, The Hand, um, yeah. Electra, Wolverine, especially you know, the miniseries. Yeah. Uh, so yeah um that's what it was and strangely i didn't really carry on with um much manga after that um that was going to be only recently that i've sort of yeah that was going to be right that's what i was going to ask you because i i had the same experience i sort of almost started there then i like probably a decade later i thought oh there's some more stuff out but i don't know there wasn't that much for us to buy was there and also some of the other stuff was a bit more the sort of more juvenile manga stuff that just oh i didn't really like you know yeah Um, yeah i mean first comics folded in 91 i think um obviously marvel epic was a thing for a while but it was just akira yeah and you know you knew you had to read akira because everybody talked about it but no i don't really remember much manga after that until we you know, the last 10 years or so, um, okay. where I've looked at a few bits and pieces. And of course, it has suddenly become uh, uh, a phenomenon, a publishing phenomenon. And it didn't really take for us in the 80s or 90s, or not just for us. I mean, it didn't really, I, don't, I think, you know, make a big impact in the markets. It didn't seem to, did it? Yeah. And I know the, obviously, the current fashion is is talked about a lot as being Netflix being responsible for the sales because they've stuck all this anime on there and people have sort of followed it up by buying Chainsaw Man and all that sort of thing. But, yeah, I think you're right, man. Do you see a particular distinction between the way they're made? Is that part, perhaps something that put you off it a bit, maybe? Um, well, we were always, you know, because we, we were primitive creatures in the 80s and 90s, um, we were always had that problem about left to right and then right yeah. to left. Um, and our slight reluctance, and clearly the American comics at the time, reluctance to just print the stuff as it was printed in Japan, which actually now, reading it now, uh, both in hard copy and in digital, I don't find a problem at all. And I've, I know okay. you said about how you just basically, you just change hand, don't you? As yeah, to which way you flick. It's a weird one for me. I do, it's weird, firstly, because I, it does you and I have been reading comics for such a big chunk of, we've almost been reading comics since we can remember anything, you know, that our eyes automatically do that dart to the right, don't they? You know, Um, and to have that dart to the left is, is still catching me out occasionally. The matter, and I've read thousands and thousands of pages of manga in the last, you know, 50 days. Yeah, you have. Uh, Yeah. And it's still catching me out. But what also catches me out is the fact that, even the same company can print stuff to can flip it and print it in a western style and also produce volumes that are in an eastern style so if you think i'm going to get these right. i'm going to get these comics from drawn and quarterly for example which is the one we're going to talk about in a minute they do books that are both 
Eastern style and Western style. So you don't know what you're always going to get. So you can't pick and choose. Oh, okay. Which is quite right. interesting. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, f- I find that still a little bit of a challenge, but you're finding it fine, are you? I seem to be okay with it, yeah. yeah. And I mean, we'll talk about the hard copy that I've got in my hand at the moment, in a moment, which is, as you say, from Drawn and Quarterly. Yeah, um, yeah I mean, I, I guess it was that. I mean, I, I think we also knew that they tended to be printed in huge phone book size yeah. collections in Japan. And that was perhaps slightly intimidating. Although now, again, you know, we're used to reading everything in big, big volumes. Yeah, back we? then so, we were twenty yeah. pages at a time, weren't we? I suppose, unless it was an yeah, annual. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, we could deal with a floppy, and that was about it. Yeah, you these like you keep throwing these double entendres at me. The uh, <laughs> it's the second one. I've you've got something hard in your hand, and now you're dealing with floppies. But that's fine. Okay. The other thing is as well is <laughs> is uh, different reading speeds, aren't they? So I've heard this talked about quite a lot on some podcasts and youtube channels i've read that the flipping of pages is a lot quicker with a manga well with some of them i have yeah. i mean my daughter showed me a couple of her manga collections which seemed to be uh there weren't many panels on a page they were basically three or four panel gags on each page and yeah. quickly on to the next one uh, so there was that and then you get something more complex uh like the book here which yeah. um some of the pages you can flick past and then sometimes his artwork just like stops you in your tracks and you have to sort of really take in the page um so yeah it, it is variable you know i guess yeah they i think do you're right read yeah these quite quickly don't they yeah i think you're i think you're totally right there and i think what we're about to talk about has a lot of talking heads i think that's yes. the difference then a lot of manga just didn't really have back then but okay so let's move on to that so i I challenged you as part of this sort of project with a book. Did you want to let the listeners know what that is? So we have been reading Onward Towards Our Noble Deaths by Shigeru Mizuki, yeah. uh, published by Drawn and Quarterly in 2011, this collection. It's translated by uh, Jocelyn Allen. And this is, as I say, hard copy, and this is in right-to-left format. Yes. So this is in traditional manga-style format. It was originally published, was it 1973? I think you're right, man. In a, yeah. Yeah. In a Japanese magazine called Kodansha, or by the publisher Kodansha, I think it yeah, is. Yeah, the anyway, magazine so called that's Shukan, what we've been reading. Shukan Gendai was the name of the magazine. There you are. And you're right. Very good. Yeah, and there's also a TV drama of it. Now... Couple of things. Firstly, I think the literal translation of the title is "Whole Unit Ought to Fight to Death," which I thought was right. That, that kind of ruins the ending, to be fair. But the um, and also we're going to talk about Shigeru Mizuki in a minute. Who is he? He is easily big top three manga creator in Japan. You know, big. There's a museum. He's got his own museum, which you can go, you can find online and walk around on those sort of online videos. Um, but this is the first thing he had published in 2011. Right. Incredible, isn't it? Just before he died, in, this, in fact. In English, yeah. Yeah, yeah, in English, yeah. Um, as you yeah. say, the digital release has only just come out. Actually. It came out in October last year. Um, it's 13 99 to buy in print pounds, and it's £10.49 to buy in the um, Suit to Die comicsology. It's class as 15+. plus. Um, it's not overly gory or anything like that. I just think it's sort of... It will grind you down with depression a bit, so maybe that's the reason. <laughs> um, there's also a TV drama being made in 2007 uh, by a production company called NHK. Um, it's. Um, did you want to just sort of summarise what it's about? Okay, so onwards towards our noble deaths is the story of, 
of a, a group of enlisted soldiers in the Imperial Japanese Army in World War II. Yeah. And they are sent with their officers to, basically they're sent to Papua New Guinea, um, uh, where eventually they are going to come into conflict with, I guess, its American forces. Yeah. But before we get to that, there's going to be an awful lot of um, just the sort of like mundane horribleness of life as an enlisted soldier, you know, as a, as a grunt in an army. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it starts out in a way, it almost starts out quite humorous with all these like humorous comic mishaps that yeah. these rookies keep having. It's almost, um, it's almost a little book. It's almost a little Hogan's Heroes to start, isn't it? You know, there's yes. a bit of that about it yeah. somewhere. But yeah, sorry, man, I interrupted. No, no, I was going to say, well, it's, I reminded me of the American cartoon, the news strip Beetle Bailey about yeah. the, you know, misfortunate soldier in the US Army. So it's a bit like that. You've got these slightly cartoony characters um, just trying to survive in in a, you know, on Papua New Guinea where there's not enough food, they can't keep themselves clean, there's certainly no women, you know. Yeah. Um, there's a, you know, there is a brothel, which is a rather humorous sequence. But as the book goes on, uh, basically the war is going to come to them and it's going to get more and more intense. Um, so, yeah, that's basically what the book is about. It's World War Two. it's the Japanese army, and it is the horrors of war, Tony. It, re it really is. And what it does, it's, um, we'll talk about the art style in a bit, but the, the faces of the characters are somewhat cartoony, you know, they, they come in comparison to some other sections of the art. But what you get is you get um, almost like a roll call of characters, don't you, at the start. And also, interestingly, yes. that plays into something else is like the rank structure um, that forms as part of it. Um, it is, it does that great thing where he he concentrates on character so that when there are deadly won't ruin it but almost for well you know pretty much everyone you know is in serious danger of their life you feel for these characters so he spends hundreds and hundreds of pages laying them out as personalities um so that when something bad happens you do feel for it you know you do feel for them which i think is, is a really a really good way to approach something you wouldn't be bothered if they'd all died on page one when you didn't know who they were um now um the interesting thing about this is shigeru mizuki himself um fought in the war um he fought on an island called new britain which is part of the islands of new guinea um he um lost his arm in the war if you can believe it um i know we we sort of had a, a backwards and forwards you know joking about you know the things that people moan about now but this this manga car actually lost his arm you know and wasn't it his drawing arm he lost as well Oh, was he? I didn't realise he drew with that arm. Didn't okay. he have to, to le teach himself to draw again afterwards with his other arm? And that, yeah, and people worry yeah. about NFTs, eh? You know? Yeah. But, yeah, uh, yeah it, 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 it does grind you down. But what he does is he creates this little um, band of characters. Some are quite humorous looking, you know. Some of them wouldn't be utterly out of place in a sort of slightly racist 1950s Beano strip. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, um, yeah. But they... They play to certain cliches. You've got the skinny one. You've got the one with bad eyesight. You know, you've got the fat-faced one who's a bit stupid looking. Um, and it, there's this little band, and they're stuck on this island. And most of most of the start of the book, you would you would be confused thinking it's a kind of wartime slice of life thing because it's all about how where that how and what how how and why and when they can actually get food because they're absolutely starving throughout it. Aren't yes. They? 
Yeah. I mean, it is, you know, it is the sort of uh, life in wartime is moments of tedium and just horrible sort of, uh, I don't know what you'd call it, you know, a, a scarcity of food and yeah. decent water and dry feet and, you know, your uniforms are rotting out from under you. And you certainly, as I say, there's a queue for the brothel that you can't get to the front of. Um, and then it's punctuated by moments of just sheer terror and an awfulness. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, it is the front. The front of the book is quite. It's quite funny in a way. It's quite humorous stuff. Yeah, they're always singing songs. You do songs get to and, know yeah. these. Yeah, and you get to know these funny characters. You get used to them. You know, you get familiar with them. And then when later on, when you know attrition starts to 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 build, you know, starts to happen, and characters start to die. You sort of feel for them because you've been with them through all these sort of adversities yeah. on this grotty island in this, you know, terrible army in this terrible conflict. Yeah. And you hinted at it earlier, Damon, about the the counterpoint, you know, of the art. So we've got did you want to explain what you meant about there's almost two styles of art in this book, aren't there? So yes. I I mean I've noticed this with um manga that often the characters themselves can be drawn in a slightly what we would call cartoony way, simplicity of line. Yeah. Um, you know, so the, the, the line work on the figures is quite simple and plain, and it is almost exaggerated and cartoony. And then behind them, I mean, obviously he does, there are some tricks to the manga trade where you see thought like, you know, greys and just like hatching and so on going on in the backgrounds or even plain backgrounds. But then you get these moments where you see the jungle on this island. You see the, the wildlife. There's, I'm looking at a beautiful page of a bird on a branch. Yeah. You get um, them on boats trying desperately to get some fish or something like that. Um, and it is just so detailed and so beautiful. Black and white art, uh, which I guess we should say, I suppose most manga that I'm familiar with is sort of black and white. Yeah, you occasionally get um, some anyway, manga that is, it starts, they put like six or seven pages of colour in at the start and then it, it goes into into black and white. But this is black and white throughout, isn't it? Yeah, black and white throughout. Um, and his work, you know, his details on these forest scenes, um, the beaches, the water, the rainfall, it's just stunning. And you yeah. just like, you turn a page and you go, oh, blimey. You know, and sometimes you've got these sort of cartoony characters in these landscapes yeah. uh, carrying trees. You know, they've, they've, they've felled a tree and they've got to help build the camp and they've got to carry it back. And somebody in there invariably drops it on their foot or something. But anyway, um, yeah. it is so beautiful. But it's an interesting contrast between what I would say the sort of simplistic figures of manga with these beautiful backgrounds. Yeah, I agree, man. And it's. Um... The thing is, I th I'm going to say there's a lot of photographic reference used in it, um, but right. it's not. They're not trying to creep anything in like a lot of artists do. This is purposely. You've got you know the faces of the soldiers looking you know confused or grim or you know singing, and the backgrounds are these more photorealistic things, which just make it an absolute joy to read because you go unlike a lot of manga like we we're sort of um, talking about earlier. You go sometimes from eight panels on a page to a big double page spread all of a sudden don't you yes yeah i mean you do get these he does these huge panels or double page spreads sometimes of tanks of trees uh smoke and explosions 
I'm looking in the middle of the book now, you know, bombs dropping and everything. Yeah. And then back to these poor characters just struggling to, you know, get by day by day um, while their officers <laughs> march them around and command them to do stupid things. Uh, yeah, it's amazing. The artwork is just, you know, it's beautiful. Yeah, he must probably looking at photos. And as you get to the end of the book, it actually, they be, the art is so good, it begins to look like photos. Yeah. And I know I... I um, we're not, you know, try not to give it away completely, but I know I mentioned uh, in some of our notes about the civil American Civil War photography oh, okay. of Matthew Brady, famous black and white photos of battlefields and the destruction and devastation afterwards. Yeah, that it reminded me of that. Um, it he, also reminded me of a TV show, which we're going to get to in a minute. But uh, yeah, yeah, he really shocks. The what did you make of the artwork? Yeah, I mean, it th does. Yeah, th th there is a shock value to those last few pages, isn't there? There really is. Um, because yeah. it goes, one of the characters actually travels. There's a line in the last uh, 50 pages of the book where he travels from being completely and utterly caricatured through to more realistic, through to something that looks a bit like an underground comic of the 60s, all the way through to that photorealistic style. Um, yeah. In, in yeah, a sort I'm of downward, depressing spiral. Yeah. Yeah. It yeah. Re really is impressive. And I've said this before. I love weathering comics and the way you get the clouds and you get the rain and you get the darkness and the cold and it's just so utterly beautiful. It's 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 this this was the book that started me on my manga journey. Uh, Jason right. Gunn recommended it and I got it as an impulse buy and I thought fucking it, it's all this good. I'm I'm missing out. I really am. You know, so I really need to get my head in the game around this because it's become so popular, and there's so much, so many people out there who I respect talking about some great books. I need to get my head in the game, and that, and that is what I did. The only thing I know is I want to ask you about man around the art before we we have a quick chat about the creator. Is I find that manga makes use of sudden changes of emotional state um, a lot. So you'll get characters who are suddenly screaming or suddenly happy or suddenly singing. Um, they seem to be more acceptable of that, of this sort of sudden change of um, of how they are in a scene, or you know, between two pages, or even between two panels. Did, is that something you've experienced or or noticed? Well, it's interesting. I mean, I'm, I'm flicking through now, and of course, you get the sort of shouting, screaming faces that we, again, I would probably perhaps wrongly, but I would probably recognise as, you know, characteristic of manga, the sudden shouty face that yeah. dominates the panel. Yeah. Um, as you know, I've been reading some, I read some Junji Ito recently, the, yes. the horror manga. And what struck me about that was how it goes from naught to 60 with the turn of a page. So on one page, it's just like normal life, mildly creepy. And then you turn the page and it's like full on, literally bug out horror yeah um, i have to say i think I was so yeah like it's you. interesting you say that yeah we talked a bit about that creator and jinji too and it and i think maybe he's been built up in our minds because we both went it, it wasn't quite as good as i thought it would be you know but, no, uh, i wasn't quite as impressed as i thought it was going to be i was much yeah. more impressed with shigura mizuki and yeah. onward towards our noble deaths. This is fantastic. This is amazing. And it also, just quickly before we get on to Mizuki, it just to explain the title slightly, it does deal with um, the psychosis of nations in wartime and in the 1930s and 1940s when the world went a bit, bon well, went more than a bit bonkers generally. Yeah. Um, because 
the Japanese army's principle was you either win or you die, and that's the only two options. There is no, there is no sort of withdrawal, there's no tactical retreat or surrender or anything like that. And, um, you know, the unit and members of the unit survive one conflict and are basically told by the uh, higher-ups, right, you go back in until you're dead. Yeah. Um, I, I was really, really you know, struck, really struck by that man. And, and that's one of my questions here, actually, we must deal with this now, is it, it really does show a difference between, well, a cultural difference, you know, between us now and us in the West and the people... And it, it's almost um, something we used to see as a cliche because we used to see in movies and stuff, didn't we? Of this sort of real sense of duty, honor, rank structure, especially um, in the Japanese way of life, and as we see here in the Japanese army. And they're basically being told, ordered to go and die. You know, that's what they're being told to do. And this is kind of almost a theme in throughout the book. Um, because even yeah. even to the point where they're being ordered to go and do stuff, which we know will make them very ill and they'll probably get malaria and die, compared to literally charge those tanks. Um, and it, it, can you imagine anything like that happening now? It would be seen as an utter fantasy, wouldn't it? You'd, you'd actually, if you saw it in a drama now, you'd think the people had been brainwashed or something. Yeah. And I mean, you know, I think there was a bit of, uh, or more than a bit of collective brainwashing going on of, of several cultures and countries in the thirties and forties, um, where we all went a bit bonkers, it seems. And yeah, you know, just, just, I mean, we, you know, we were sort of familiar with it. I'm afraid from certain cultural stereotypes of, you know, of the Japanese at war. And of course, things like the bridge on the river Kwai, where we got the idea that, um, surrender was dishonor, you know, to be captured by the enemy was dishonor. Um, but I don't and know about, here it is, you know. This I don't know about you, but I, I, one of the other things for me was stuff like James Clavell's books, like King Rat and um, Shogun. Even we had this Shogun. Sort of really harsh view, you know, these sort of incredible people, but that they were so rem- like they had no mercy about them, and that's kind of yeah. almost my first exposure to Japanese culture was the TV series um, Shogun. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I remember Richard, seeing it. Richard Chamberlain. Uh, yeah, yeah, I remember James old Richard Chamberlain. Level. Remember him. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, just incredible. And you're right, man. It is, it's, a, there's a real, this really does dig into it. And you, you, because of that, you, these, but these guys, they almost, they do slightly, but they almost don't question it. They just do it. Um, yeah. I can't get anyone to make me a coffee these days. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, you can order a Japanese battalion into action and say, "Yeah, we haven't got any guns. Don't um, worry about don't that. Don't come back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Just yeah. don't come back. Yeah, only got one bullet." Uh, um, yeah. Let's talk a bit oh, about. It's terrible. Yeah, let's talk a bit about Shigeru Mizuki. He was born on the eighth of March, twenty nineteen twenty two. Died on the thirtieth of November, twenty fifteen. Uh, born Osaka, in Japan, raised in the city of uh, Sakaminamoto. Um, considered a master of manga for his work. Um, mostly, um, I don't know if you've looked into this, but mostly for his um, fantasy and folklore stuff, is his is his main the the reason he's mainly known, I suppose. As a kid, Yo- he, yokai. Kai. Is yeah. that the, is that the yeah? As a kid, he always got into fights and trouble, and he was in local street gangs. Do you know what? Re- as I was reading this in some on some of the sites, all I could think of was this dude is Kirby man. Yeah, it's Kirby. Yeah. He's 
the Japanese Jack Kirby. Yeah, he fought in, in the street war. gangs, a bit of a tough as a youth, goes to war. Yeah, incredible. Um, and at school, his teachers were really impressed with his art and gave him his first exhibition. But when he was young, he became obsessed with the ghost stories told to him by a woman um, called Fusa Kagayama, who he, nicked, he nicknamed her Nonoba which is a, a name that comes later into um, some of his stories. 1942 drafted into the Imperial Japanese Army and spent to New Britain Island in Papua New Guinea. And there, as we've seen in this comic, he saw some real horrors. Uh, he contracted malaria and lost his arm in an air raid. Um, his experiences changed him, and he became, from that point onwards, he became a pacifist. Um, whilst on the island, he was um, befriended whilst ill, I think in hospital, you know, while they were saying his arm, you know, the hole up. Um, by the local tribespeople, and they offered him a home on the island. They so liked him, they offered him this home on the island, and he, he genuinely wanted to stay there. Um, but because of his injuries, he was returned to Japan. His debut in 1957 was a book called Rocket Man. Um, he did start off doing um, what were called rental comics at the time, which was comics that you could basically go in a shop and rent for a couple of yen, I'm guessing. Um, and he also did um, what's called paper theatre. So it's almost like... Um, shadow puppets but on a little a little it's like punch and judy but you sort of scroll a comic across it and kids would sit there and watch that which is kind of cool oh right okay yeah um in 1965 he began kappa no senpai um and that was later renamed uh ge 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 no kitaro which is the big one for him the one that probably kitaro is his big character one of his big characters isn't it yeah um, there's not actually that much in English, but it was an utter landmark in Japan. There's movies, video games, cartoons, you name it. There's, it features very heavily in, in the museum of him. Um, Nono, uh, Nono Bar, about his old storytelling friend um, when he was growing up, he did a comic about her. Um, he did return to um, New Britain, um, and they named a road after him. How cool is that? Um, his hometown yep. also has a road named after him, and it, it is actually lined with statues of his creations. I think mostly from uh, Kitaro, um, yokai creations, yes. which is incredible. Um, easily one of the most important figures in in our medium, our hobby medium, um, but criminally underpublished in the English language. I have to say, if um, from what I did, all the reading in I did on this, the we wouldn't have Pokemon, we wouldn't have Digimon, we wouldn't have Spirited Away. There's so many things there that have got his fingerprints on him that we just wouldn't have seen when we've we've no we haven't touched anywhere near his full catalogue. Um, yeah. And genuinely needs to be something. Thank God for Drawn and Quarterly. Actually, they're bringing out some great books. Um, really good. Um, he was described um, as the voice the voice of Japan's conscience by a journalist a guy called um, Jake Adelstein. Um, and it proves to me, in a way, that to write great fiction. You have to live a life, and this dude, like like Kirby, I suppose, you know, yeah. this dude really lived it, and, and he, he he, and his experiences like changed him forever, and and we and produced all manner of different work. He's considered quite an expert in yokai, um, and he even he says, I don't know, I only know sixty percent of it. I think is the phrase he used. Um, there's an interview. <laughs> I did laugh at this man. I don't know what you thought, but when I bought this, there was um, a thing in it that said, "Oh, there's um, an introduction, which we'll talk about in a minute." But it's also it's got an interview by him in the back, and I thought oh, that's brilliant. I'll look at that. It's got brilliant, you know. Q and A with Shigeru Mizuki, and he's. I've seen them do this before. The manga cards. They are totally offhand with interviewers. <laughs> have you read this interview? Yeah, I have. Yes. <laughs> he's very brief, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah. It, I was reading some of the questions, thinking there's these really long questions from titled D and Q, drawn quarterly, um, and then there's this long question about what he's reading, commercial c 
commercial manga, contemporary manga, how do you feel you work as an affinity with it all? And it goes on for like six, seven lines. And then his question, the answer is one line. I don't feel there's any affinity with any particular manga car. I don't read recent manga. That's his answer. Right. <laughs> He's, uh, uh, and there's also the question where they ask him about, you know, you kept in contact running your army buddies from the war. And he says, no, they're all dead. Blunt. I saw an interview with... killed, basically. Yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly. Have you not read stuff? The, uh, I saw an interview with Tezuka and he was exactly the same. They, they, right. they, they okay. sort of managed, this team had managed to get into his... his um, his office, you know, into his studio, and he was just like offhand with them. He just didn't really care. I think a lot of the time these guys are too busy drawing to worry about uh, worry about stuff. Um, Twenty twelve, um, this book we're talking about onwards to our noble desk one won the Eisner, um, and Debbie Aoki um, from About.com described it as dense with details, filled with pathos, humour, and horror. There you go. Um, yeah. We're gonna have, we're gonna have a chat in a minute and compare these to the comics that we we probably know and love more more often. But um, I did. There are a few other things I want to mention. Gekiga manga, which is um, a genre of manga. Let's call it that way. We had, a, we had an ACP um, episode about um, genres the other about day. Genre, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Manga is not a genre. Um, and it, Geki, this is Gekiga manga, and it literally translates to dramatic pictures. But in Japanese, it's ad it's aimed at adults. Um, with more mature themes. Um, creators um, admired Osamu Tezuka, who we just mentioned, but um, wanted to write stuff that had more meaning to them. And um, we got a series of books out from a number of notable Gekiga artists. And I think I'm a bit like you here, where a lot of these names are people that I had naturally gravitated to um, already. So Kazuo Koiki and Gosega Gojimbo, who, uh, Gojima, who did uh, Lone Wolf and Cub, is one of them. Yeah. which I know you've been reading. Yeah. Um, I've been you, reading that, uh, yeah. Yeah. So if there's any other of these ones. So uh, Ryochi Ikigami, who did Crying Freeman, Sanctuary, Spider-Man, which is what we talked about last week. Tako Sato, who did Golgo 13. Do you remember that one? That had a brief flash in the pan. No, I don't remember that one at all, Tony. Sort of assassin. Um, Sorry. That's right. Yoshiro Tatsumi, A Drifting Life, which I've... That is a long book. You think this is long. That's four times <laughs> I've started that one. Um, Seichi Hayashi, Red Coloured Elegy, which I know is on the shelf at Gosh. Uh, Sampai Shirato uh, by Konui. Um, uh, so, Gekiga. So, Geki actually means can mean play or drama or a powerful thing. Um, and Gekiga is mostly based in and foremost in reality, is what they say. So, I mean, Crying Freeman, in, in, to a certain extent, has a sort of certain reality to it. Um, it's what I would say is where we see sometimes the word graphic novel, I suppose. Yeah. 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 And it's interesting that he won the Eisner in 2012 because the other dominant figure from American comics that he reminded me of as well as Jack Kirby was Will Eisner. Yeah, definitely. Um, and he's got that, he had that sort of um, grandfather of Japanese comic sort of reputation and also, for some reason, the scenes he does of people in the rain reminded me a bit of Will Eisner's contract with yeah, good point. God, where you know the characters in the in the New York tenements are always standing outside railing at God in the rain. That sort of reminded me of that. So yeah, he, I, I mean, a giant of Japanese comics um, that very unfortunately very little of his work is published in English uh, or has been translated so far. Yeah, I've but, looked you know, up. I've looked up a few things. So I've read some of his yokai 
stuff. And it's really different. Have you looked at that, any of that? So I've got Tono Monogatori, his collection ah, of yokai nice. stories in digital on the iPad. And I've been reading those. And those are great. They're very short. They're quite short little stories. And yokai are these sort of, it's the idea of Japanese spirits or Japanese ghosts uh, or Japanese, I don't know what you'd call them, sort of like fairies and sprites and mischievous yeah. imps, all that sort of stuff. That's yokai. Um, and... Those are great little folklore tales. Uh, reminded me of, because I put this in our notes, I know, reminded me of those some of those Japanese horror films that made their way over here. Um, you know, if you want to see the long, black-haired, female ghost-type yeah, character, yeah, you'll yeah. see them, you know, Ringu, but also back to the 60s. Um, I don't know if you've seen Onibaba or Kwaida. Tony, I haven't, no. to sort of Japanese ghost. But Onibaba is Onibaba is a film that um, haunted me because I saw it when I was a kid um, one <laughs> night um, and probably shouldn't have done. And I finally rediscovered what it was recently. And then the Kwaidan, which is a collection of yokai. Uh, it's a, sort of like a portmanteau film. I think there's four stories. And oh, it's, wow. that's, that's yokai. But yeah, I've been reading his... Um, Tono Monogatori, which is his yokai stuff, and some of the characters I'm guessing that are in bronze on his street, yes, um, in his hometown, right. yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and I mean, it's huge in Japan, and you know, um, this was a big thing, and probably what he was better known for in a way, yeah, was all those sort of yokai and his Katara character. But you know, he did write and draw his. Um, anti-war book and we this is what we've got yeah yeah he did and he also did um hilariously a book on hitler um yes. which i've yet to buy I, I, it keeps looking at me from the shelf in <laughs> in gosh and he's done i think it's three books called Shoah, which are the history of japan um i've got a little bit of an obsession now with post-war japan having read um barefoot again and a few other books and i really i really wanted that's what i need to catch up with from him as well right yeah they look they look incredible when you think that you know he's these guys work their asses off, don't they? He's got these like this whole career going of like history, you know, wartime and, and Japanese history, and then he's got this whole other career going, which has spawned a literal Disney of a you know industry um, in yeah. relation to yokai. Incredible, huge yeah. industry in Japan. Yeah, I mean, you know, and he was he was uh, he was putting out. My a lot of these manga artists, they just put the stuff out, then they, they yeah. just keep going, and it's fantastic. And yet. You know, some of the work is just stunning. And again, in in the yokai tales I've been reading, his backgrounds. Again, I posted yeah. some of these on on the Slack group. That just the detail in them, and you oh. just think, oh my goodness, that's just so fantastic. You know. Yeah, it's like a is it Hosokai? Is that the the painter? It's just like one of those. You know. It Hokusai is. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 Hokusai and the wave. Yeah. Cool. One one brief thing before we move on to some other stuff um, in relation to comparisons is. The intro for this is written by Frederick L. Schott, um, who I wrote about recently in the um, part two of the 100 Days of Manga thing I'm doing on the site. But he is um, quite a pioneering guy. He lived in Japan. Um, he was responsible for um, translating some of Tezuka's early work um, because I think he knew him or he had a friend who knew him. But he's the one who bought out the book that is the one that you always see quoted, which I think came out in the mid-'80s, and it's called... Um, manga manga the world of japanese comics um and it's it's really if you can get a copy it's really worth getting i got a cheap copy on ebay for a tenner and it had um passages highlighted with a highlighter pen 
as if someone oh, had great. been using it to study. So it's that sort of good quality. For me, there's almost a couple of books that are worth getting. First is um, Schott's book, and then also is Paul Gravett's book, which is um, more image-focused. You know, it focuses more on the images and stuff, the stuff we don't see. Um, and those those two are really good. But um, Schott is a real historian. You know, he's he's really he's responsible for getting a lot of the stuff here, and he does write quite an insightful um, introduction to this, which is almost always slightly longer than the interview you get at the back but yeah it's yeah. pretty good yeah <laughs> right yeah good. we do get a nice introduction we get some back matter we get an interview we get some notes yeah nice packet yeah. from drawn and quarterly it really is yeah it really is so um we've i know i've been listening to the mega city and you've done quite a few episodes on british war comics now we've got a hell of a tradition over here you know um, everything from battle all the way through to you know still going commando and you know everything had it was war was kind of our superhero for a while wasn't it war and football were as popular superheroes i think here weren't they yeah probably more you know yeah. you know 70s 60s and 70s we were more into war comics and sports comics than we were into sort of superheroes or yeah fantasy yeah. or stuff like that yeah we've been doing a bit of a mini series on battle um and also on action and the war stories from that uh yeah and we can compare this to some british war comics because i'm, I'm going to repeat the anecdote that i always say <laughs> which as you know tony i started reading i grew up reading the victor for uh, comic for boys yeah and what i remember about the victor stories was it was it was all about the plucky sergeant who storms a machine gun nest and comes back with a VC cross, you know, the Victoria Cross or whatever. It was all about that sort of daring do stuff, which as a kid, of course, is what you think you would do in war. You think yeah. that, oh, that'll be me. I'll be, I'll be the one storming the machine guns. And then once I've gone back now and I've read some of the 70s stuff from battle and from action, and you get things like, obviously, like Charlie's War or... Um, I've been recently been reading Darkie's Mom yeah. and HMS Nightshade by you know both by John Wagner and Mike Weston, yeah. and it's much more you know these are much more anti-war comics. These are much more comics about the sort of sheer horror and terror of being in conflict. Um, and these poor blokes, these poor Japanese guys on this you know New Guinea island, oh, it's just you know. It's just terrifying it is. And I realise as I get older, of course, I wouldn't be the one storming the machine gun nest. I'd be the one, I'd be the character called Tubby Grover in HMS Nightshade who just can't cope with it at all. No, you know, I'd be the shivering wreck in the trenches. You'd be you'd be the officer up on the up on the hill drinking Sancerre and playing chess as well, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> um, and ordering them all into battle to die. Yeah. yeah. From your moat. The um, I think you're right, man. I agree completely. And there is that um, evolution of British comics, isn't there? Led by you know Pat and Matt, Pat and John and you know a few others, where the focus went from you know posho senior officer with it who carried a sword through to the sergeant, through to the the actual nuts and bolts reality of what it's like to be in a trench or be in the war and stuff. And I think I actually think that American comics followed quite. A similar trajectory, but a lot, not as steep. I think when you right. look at stuff like Men at War and um, uh, Sergeant Rock and, and um, Sergeant Fury and all those sort of books, by the time you get to the 70s and the early 80s, Sergeant Rock was dealing with stuff like Auschwitz. You know, yeah. he was dealing, you know, dealing with, you know, threatened children and not in every issue. I don't want to make it sound like it's all this sort of, you know, 
polemic against the war, but there, there's um, that it became much more sophisticated. I think. Do yeah. If if you, but to me they're very chalk and cheese. These aren't they? They're they're two different creatures. You know, war comics in the U- in the United Kingdom would tell a story sometimes in three pages, mm. um, compared to these. Well, I mean, I think at the start of this book you get these little episodic bits that I almost thought, you know, I mean, it's interesting you said there's a TV version of this because I almost thought that film and television couldn't do that because it's just like two or three pages of them trying to get rice or trying to get water to wash the rice or trying to get somebody's lost his boot and they're trying to get his boot, you know. And and so you get those at the start, which are a bit like British comics. And then I noticed it sort of expanded as the book progressed and it became, the episodes became longer and longer and longer and it sort of, you know, becomes fuller. Um, yeah, I mean, I suppose he didn't, I don't know what format it was, you know, how many pages it was originally printed in, yeah. but he didn't necessarily have that three pages only from a British war comic. I'm guessing um, if it's anything you know, like, like... Charlie's War. Yeah, I'm guessing if it was anything like any of the other comics that I've been sort of looking into, it was sometimes 20 pages a time in a weekly magazine. Right. Now, that's an interesting format. I don't... Yeah. Do well to, you know, I, I don't always keep up with 2000 AD, and that's only five pages a story. You know, I sometimes <laughs> have to go back and read five at a time because I haven't read them. Um, but, yeah, that's... I mean, it's it speaks to the Japanese culture of reading comics. Is these guys, you know, you and I, perhaps when we were being cool, you know, and trying to trying to meet ladies, wouldn't always read a comic on the bus, you know. But these guys, they don't care, do they? They will read a comic on the bus. They'll read a comic anywhere, you know. Well, I think that's one of the things we'd heard about Japan was that everybody read manga, and if you read manga on the train, nobody took, nobody blinked. Yeah. Whereas, as you say, you and I were used to, you know, if you read comics in public. Um, you you were either thought of as you know entirely infantile or some sort of dangerous suspect who should be avoided <laughs> yeah, at all yeah, costs. Yeah, and and you know, and I suspect, uh, I suspect younger people than us, Tony. I suspect the young adults and teens who are reading all the manga now. I don't think there's any hesitation about reading it on a train or a bus. Yeah, I think you're right. They just yeah. they just you know, they just crack it out and away they go. Whereas, you know, I still to this day, run up against people who find the idea of me being interested in comics entirely comical, uh, you know, for the wrong reasons. They just they just fall about the place still. You know, yeah. I had a, an, an incident with a family member recently who just thought the whole thing was just ridiculous. And, I mean, maybe we're getting there. The You know, the younger generation is getting there, but the acceptance of comics as an art form in Japan they seem to be so far ahead of us, you know, decades yeah. and decades ahead of us uh, on this. They do. I, I, I really admire the Japanese. I've worked, I work with a few Japanese and I, I just, I've never, I've never, I genuinely don't think I've met a Japanese person I didn't like. They right. do seem like this, this great nation of um, coolly acceptance, you know, it's that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure that, not everyone is, as you know, it's a broad generalisation, but I do. I am now absolutely desperate to get there. Um, right. I keep telling people I'm going to go there, but yeah, I think it's on right. the bucket list, is it? It really is. Yeah, it really yeah. is. Um, now let's do. Let's just choose a couple of sequences that um, you you particularly liked. If you if you don't write my name, and I'm going to I'm going to pick one out myself. So I'm going to pick out page. It's essentially page one, um, which right. is page thirteen in the book, which is um, the army marching. So what? 
he's already doing. He's so clever, this dude. He's firstly, that's a super detailed page that would look good twice the size because it's absolutely full of people in a crowd and an army marching down a street. Um, but also, when you've got a book called Onwards Towards Your uh, Noble Deaths and you open page one and it's people marching to war, it speaks absolute you know, volumes as to the thought that's gone into this, especially in Counterpoint, and that's how the book ends. Right. He's, I mean, I know it's a real-life lived experience, so he knows how it's going to end, but I just really like that the, the show-don't-tell thing that he's got yes. going on here which is i think is a real a real footprint of, of manga is, is show don't tell a lot of the time you know i mean, I, I recounted it last week but i know the japanese didn't really like the first few issues of spider-man because there, there was just too much writing oh right yeah. okay yeah. yeah what about you man any any particular ones you liked well i mean while we're doing page numbers then i guess yeah. i'll say the sequence from about page 20 onwards okay which is i think before i think it's before they get sent to the island that there's a brothel <laughs> and there's a queue of soldiers um, <laughs> a mile long and they come and sort of join the queue and they go like oh for goodness sake guys hurry up and you know <laughs> and basically not to put too many spoilers on it the brothel puts up the clothes sign and these guys in the queue are really pissed off and then they they do burst out into song they start singing this song about the red light district um so i mean that sort of epitomized to me the sort of early uh comical nature of it in a way yeah. it's it's, um, it's weird because it's a book also that, it's a book that doesn't have many females in it as well and they're no they are very I think she's the only female isn't she yeah, yeah yeah i think you're right and i also really do like that song thing it really speaks to we don't get it anymore really do we but you know even when i was a kid you you would go to a club you know, like a working man's club or something like that, or a local, you know, I think for me it was a local Catholic club, and everyone would know the songs, you know. Yeah. But now, who would know the songs now, you know? You know, I mean, I remember at a wedding, my father singing Jerusalem, you know, because he knew the words and things like that, you know, and all these sort of Irish folk songs that I remember as a kid. And um, this is what this is. All these guys knew these songs, and and it's not the first time. I think it's three or four instances of them just all breaking out into song. It's just incredible. I'd love to know the history of some of these songs as well. You know? Yeah, absolutely. They, you know, and there are notes about these being traditional Japanese army soldier yeah. songs. Uh, yeah. This is the prostitutes' lament was sung by soldiers during the war. No recordings of it remain. How amazing! Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Another one I wanted to do was the double page spread between two three nine and two three two three eight and two three nine, um, which shows that um, almost George Pratt double page spread of war in black and white. Like, you know, it's almost yeah. it's almost like a, a block print thing, and and you you get in different layers and different styles of simplicity down the page and across the page. You get firstly he uses sound effects. His sound effects are very comics. You know, they're very Kirby. Um, they're very how we expect, you know, sound effects to do, which I'm guessing would have been in Japanese across the page. You know, you wouldn't they wouldn't be this um, written like that. So they, I'm guessing, have been added by Drawn and Quarterly. Um, but you get all the way across to the page of to the super cartoon, cartoony version of the bloke getting it, you know, on the, yes. the left-hand corner. And it, to me, just looks like this sort of Punch and Judy puppet. So yeah. the absolute change of there, but it holds the intensity even through those changes, which I think is really incredible. Yeah, and I'm going to say if you took the top part of those two pages, hmm. it's the double page spread across the top of the page. If you took off the two sound effects and posted that page or hung that page in a gallery, yeah, 
um, it would not look out of place in the national, you know, in the national totally gallery yeah. or something like that. Yeah, it, it would um, look like it is um, such a yeah, no, totally, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you it would one look like a. Well, I would, I mean, I'm just going to say, I guess I get, we, you know, we're probably going to get there because we're going to talk about the last few pages. Yeah. Okay. Um, uh, can I spoil it? Yeah, in go on. A book called yes. onwards towards our noble death. <laughs> yeah, go on. Okay. Then. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I'm just going to say it goes Blackadder goes forth. Yeah, all right, it goes the does. last episode of Blackadder goes forth, um, and. And the pages that you see of sort of almost the aftermath of battle, um, the devastation, the Matthew Brady pictures, um, just images. Again, we've, we shared some of these images on Messenger recently and images that just like burn themselves into your retinas. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, uh, for God's sake, you know, why are we still doing war? I mean, it's such a stupid yeah. idea. Um, sorry. <laughs> That's yeah, no, I agree. Try to yeah. know, but when we sit here, yeah. and we were only yeah. just discussing, we sit here on the verge of a war. You know, incredible, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But thankfully, our foreign secretary and her hat are <laughs> uh, uh, she's she's there, and she knows exactly the geography that she's dealing with. Uh, yeah, she's yeah. brought her vanity. It's all going well, over, isn't it? It's all going fine. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, what about yourself? Any other pages you want to pick out? No, that was that was where I was going with that man. The um, yeah, the, I remember as a kid, um, seeing a documentary of the bodies being being sort of JCB'd out of um, Hiroshima, and I remember it having and it, you know, there's the occasional image they say in your life that just sticks with you. You know, there's the occasional thing we remember, and and due to it, and it, normally it's due to the sort of a high emotional response that you have to that image. You know. And I think this is what this is. I think this is, if I had been, you know, a 10, 12-year-old boy reading this, that is how I would would have reacted to these images. Not just because of the bodies piled up. You know, I mean, there is, you know, he's clearly used photograph reference for that but and drawn over it, I'm guessing, or used it. But also for this just death walk of this dude as he's dying. Yeah, um, I mean, that's... A, that... That's an amazing few pages for that character yeah. um, who almost, as you say, goes through a sort of American underground comics transformation in a way yeah. um, before becoming one of the bodies. Uh, it's astonishing. Yeah, so yeah, the last few pages, um, uh, get get the book, get a look at it. Uh, and also look out for that, you know, those double page spread, spreads that should be hung in a gallery somewhere. Yeah. This this is top ten book for me, man. I tell you now, yeah. I genuinely think, why have I fucking not read this before? Um, it was just this sort of ridiculous notion that you know probably I'd ruin my bank account if I started buying manga, and the fact that it all looks like One Piece or something. Well, it doesn't. This is you know this was a, a brilliant book to start with, and you will then search for books like this. And he has done other books, and there are uh, there are other creators who've done stuff very similar. But yeah. Absolutely, absolutely brilliant. Good. So, Charlie's War should be taught in schools. Yes. Mouse should be taught in yes, schools. Exactly. And <laughs> there's a there's a controversial popular opinion. Hot take. <laughs> yeah. And um, Onward Towards Our Noble Deaths by Shigeru Mizuki should be taught in schools. Um, you know, kids should read this. They should read Charlie's War. They should read Mouse. And then you know, yeah. Don't say the younger generation, save us all, grow up so that you never go to war. Um, exactly. Well, what, yeah. Why on earth 
would we want to be in a situation where we have to just kill people and the most people we kill means who won the war it's just the most ridiculous yeah. fucking thing in the world the I um, know. we spend all this we just spent the last two years starting to stop people dying you know and now we're about to go to war again it's fucking stupidity yeah. utter stupidity oh, um i'm actually seeing pat in a couple of weeks so i might take him a copy of this out i might message him so uh, okay uh, see if he's read it because i'll be interested to hear his opinion on it yeah i really would um yeah okay. well i think he'd like i think he'd appreciate the anti-authoritarian sort of approach of it yeah and the guys as on, well the guys on the ground he's, thing yeah yeah and you know um god wouldn't it have been great to have had pat mills and shigeru mizuki in the same room you know yeah. with a translator chatting or even on a zoom call or something but yeah yeah it would have been, yeah. oh well good yeah. okay thanks man thanks for joining in on that one that was a re- that was a real joy that one um absolute absolutely brilliant um it's a great pick tony it really is yeah what yeah yeah, yeah. it was it's a great book <clears throat> i've got an idea for a next one actually which i might speak to you in a minute about but uh okay we'll do that afterwards but i just want to chat about you man you're on fire absolutely on fire at the moment you and 2000 ad proper good buddies now aren't you you're getting little little bits of information you're refusing to tell me um so that's well, good <laughs> all the information i think all the information's out now it was just the garth ennis interview which had to be delayed because they hadn't made um, the announcement about this year's Battle Action Hardback Special. Yeah. Which is entirely written by Garth Ennis, but with a number of different artists. And so, yeah, I had an interview with Garth Ennis talking about Johnny Red, another great British war comic. Yeah. Um, that was such you say, a good interview, sort of like mini-series. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I messaged you straight. I always listen to them on... I go and see my son on a Sunday morning, and I, I always listen to your podcast uh, every other week when it comes out, and I messaged you straight away, because that was such a good interview. He's so engaging. Why is Garth Innes not winning every award every time? He is he is one of the best writers we've got. I don't, I don't understand he it. He is. He really is. Um, I mean, he's a titan, yeah. and he was so keen to talk about Johnny Red, and, you know... Um, you know, full disclosure, I'm hoping he's coming back later in the year to do another book with oh, me. Nice. So um oh, fingers crossed for that. Yeah. Yeah, it was a great it was a great um, um, So yeah, was that great was great interchange. fun. Yeah, you t- you 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 had some great questions there, man. And also you've covered some other books. So you've done Hellman of Hammer Force with Paul Trimble. Um yep. which was good. Um what other ones have you got coming up, man? So this weekend, as this comes out, I've got two episodes coming out. There's an episode okay. on Saturday that ties in with the 2080 45th and Tony Foster's comic scene, I Love Comics event on Facebook. So okay. I've got an interview with Scott Montgomery, who's just written, uh, or in fact, over the last two years, has written the 2080 encyclopedia that's about to drop, a big hardback collection, which is uh, hopefully around. I've been here tomorrow, I think. Yeah. So that's that's a little mini episode. And then on Sunday, James Peaty, the 2000 AD and Doctor Who writer, is on the show talking about HMS Nightshade, which is is the sort of slightly obscure gem from John Wagner and Mike Weston. If you're a fan of John Wagner and you've not got HMS Nightshade, then have a listen in and then get hold of a copy because that's a real... Uh, great war comic. Um, obviously, as the title suggests, is that, is that, is that a recent? So has that come out recently again? Have they reprinted that one? No, there was in the Garth Ennis Presents Battle oh, Classics of course it was. that yeah. they did about, yeah. I don't know, eight or ten years ago. So that was from Titan, but of course, I think that was before Rebellion got the you know got all the licenses got the, got the archives yes. so whether it will come out again in the future who knows yeah i think but you can still, pick still it up, get can't you? titan yeah. hardback 
yeah, you can. You can get them, and they are well worth it. There's some great stories selected by Garth Ennis in there as well, and some great introductions and back matter by Garth himself. Cool. And obviously, and it's then, a big, so that's what's coming up, basically. Yeah, it's a big, it's a big uh, landmark year for 2000 AD. How did this creep up on us? But it's 45 years now, isn't it? 45 years of 2000 AD in Judge Dredd. Um, I guess, sadly, things like the pandemic means that we haven't had the full bash like we had for the 40th. I guess yeah. we're going to have to wait for the 50th for that one, Tony. Oh, God, yeah. yeah. Um, there is a small exhibition at the Cartoon Museum in London of Dread Art. It's a, it is a very small exhibition. Don't get your hopes up. But there is a there, that's going on. There's the encyclopedias coming out. Um, in fact, I don't I think, think there's our, anything else, really. I think our buddy Sarah Harris was at it today, wasn't she? She went to the exhibition. She was. Yeah, yeah Sarah Harris, who is about to come up on the book club in a couple of weeks. Uh, she was there in London, that, that London today, going to see the exhibition, yeah. <laughs> and, and I shall be there in a couple of weeks myself with Conrad from Space Spinner 2000. Nice, good. I might go tomorrow, actually. I'm at Gosh tomorrow, and it's only a short walk from there, so I might pop in from there. Um, yeah, very close to Gosh Comics. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I'm there with uh, Mr. Falp, so I'll see what kind of mood he's in. He's usually in a terrible mood, so I'll see if I'm going okay. to go up there. Um, and also, the other thing I enjoy of yours is The British Invaders which is not comics, but a TV <laughs> show, um, which is your dirty secret, you keep telling me. Um, yeah. And this week you've done, is it Hogfather, or you're about to do? We've just finished Hogfather, the Terry Pratchett uh, series from um, Sky TV a few years ago. We do British television genre stuff, fantasy, science fiction, horror. Um, we've, got, uh, we've got a couple of episodes coming out about Jonathan Miller's 1966 black and white production of Alice in Wonderland. That's weird. Which is I, I very watched, weird. I watched an interview with Miller today. How weird is that? Oh, there there's, you um, go, right. There's a great YouTube series called In the Library with Clive James. I like Clive James. And um, he interviews a few people, right. and one of them is Jonathan Miller. And I'd forgotten all about some of Jonathan Miller's TV work, because I mean, he's kind of known for operas, wasn't he, towards the end of his life, I think. Yeah, yeah. yeah. operas and theatre and stuff like that. But he did a great... He did that black and white whistle and I'll come to you, uh, M.R. James ghost story, which a lot of people still regard as one of the scariest things ever shown on British television. And then he did this 66 version of Alice in Wonderland. It's got Peter Cook in it. It's got Peter Sellers in it. <laughs> it's got John Gielgud in it, Leo McKern. Um, Alan Bennett's in there as well. So, yeah, I mean, that's astonishing. So we've got that. And then after that, I think we're doing a TV show from the 70s called The Georgian House, which only partly okay. survives in the archive. But it's um, it's got lots of interesting stuff to talk about, which is uh, politics and where we've been in the last couple of years. So that's Ooh. coming up. So, yeah, British Invaders, the podcast all about British television science fiction. It belongs to my friend Brian from Canada, but I'm just the sort of, um, I'm the stuntman. Okay, yeah, no, it's that. good, man. No, it's, there's, there's loads of stuff in there that I enjoy. I know you've done The Avengers and... I'm a big Avengers fan, and yeah, we've recently there. talked about Diana Rigg. Um, yeah, and you know, last year or the year before, we did on a black man. We will get to uh, Joanna Lumley at some point <laughs> in the future, and of course, Linda Thorson, the forgotten yes. one, but yeah, yeah, I like Linda Thorson. Good, oh, and um, just as a sort of an aside, I know we talked about it briefly, what sort of stuff are you reading at the moment, man? What's sort of um, ticking your boxes at the moment? Uh, so 
I've got lots of stuff to read for the podcast as ever. I'm, I'm reading yeah. Martial Law to, to do with Dan Butcher next week Brilliant. on the book club and some Misty to do with Sarah Harris. But I've been reading, I did a complete reread of, of Saga recently okay. to um, to get, you know, get up to speed for the new issue that came out because, of course, it started back recently. Yeah. Um, what else? You recommended King of Spies. Savage yeah, what do you Dragon. think of that, man? Do you um, are you liking King of Spies or? I, I think it's great. I mean, it's just <laughs> fun comics, isn't it? It's it rip roaring fun comics. Um, you know, if you want an older, uh, more haggard Bond who's decided to make up for his all his past <laughs> um, dodgy <laughs> yeah. actions, um, King of Spies is great. Saga. Uh, the other thing is. Uh, I think I don't know if I talked about this at Christmas. Or I know I talked about it on the ACP Slack channel. I've been reading the controversial Superman Son of Kal El. Yeah, me too. Um, yeah. Series, and I like it. Yeah, I, I don't mind it's it. Great fun. Yeah, I think the yeah. art is really good. I really do like the art in it. Um, I think he. I think I know he won a couple. Got a couple of votes in the eleven Oscars this year. I'm I'm blanking on the dude's name now, but I actually really like the Superman books. At the moment, Action Comics is fucking brilliant. I'm on Action Comics as well because of oh, you. you. Uh, although, as we speak this week, I've had the, uh, the email from Comixology yeah. cancelling all my subscriptions because apparently in 2022 in the UK, Amazon can't handle digital subscriptions to comics for Fuck some reason. Uh, you know, it seems like a retrograde business move. It's like but, they're trying you know, to put us off buying comics, isn't it? It's getting that bad. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, you know, here's the comics industry saying nobody's buying comics. And then you've got a subscription model which works. And then you say, oh, right, we'll just scrap that in the UK. They don't want that. We don't We don't want their money. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I know. Oh, it's a shame. And I know today, you know, creators and fans have been tweeting about that because it affects both. Yeah. The creators, you know, I mean, I don't know how many pennies they get for your digital copy when it arrives. Uh, each month, but you know, it's not, gonna... I'm guessing it's not too bad because it's not far off the physical copy, is it? Sometimes the price, of no. it, you know, yeah. So, anyway, there you go. So, I've been reading those. Um, what else have I got at the moment? I am starting a reread of Preacher. Oh, okay. Um, I'm finally going to get go get through all that. I have actually, I've picked off the shelf, I did pick off the shelf mouse because I yeah. thought, yeah, yeah too, you know. Yeah, I did the classic. If they can't where, read it in Tennessee. I'm going to read it here. Yeah, I'm going to talk about it all the time. Yeah, as soon as someone gets banned or something gets banned, we all, you know, we all band together. I bought. I did the great thing of, you know, I, I me and my boy, we have a my son, we have like a project where we read a comic each week and we talk about it over breakfast on a Sunday. And um, so I thought, right, well, this is a perfect example, perfect time to buy a mouse. You know, I haven't read it for right. 15 years, 20 years or something. I'm going to buy him it and then um, we can talk about it next Sunday. So I, I messaged him saying, that, you know, did it arrive? He says, oh, yeah, it's arrived. I said, what did you think of it? He said, I didn't understand it. I said, right. what are you talking about, son? He went, you bought me the French copy. So that was all. <laughs> that was clearly all that was left on Amazon because they sold out, didn't they? It, yeah. It did sell out. And, it, you know, actually, we should say paper shortages are having an effect, aren't they? Yeah. Because um, I spoke to our local bookshop about their manga shelves. And they said that they're having real trouble getting some of the manga titles because of yeah. the paper shortages. Um yeah, that's what but affected, they do. You know, um, does they? Is it Demon Slayer or whatever that thing is? That and Chainsaw Man. It affected those, didn't it? I think. Yeah, yeah. and the Apex collection of Brian Bolland artwork oh, for right. uh, 2008. That's been delayed because of um, 
paper shortages as well. Oh, they yeah. have a lot of people are waiting for that, aren't they? And I know Brian Bolland yeah. for for ages was sort of was he um he was Instagramming his heart out, wasn't he? He like, was numerous yes. times a day, and I'm sure that was in like a big build up to get the Apex edition, and then yeah, he's gone a bit quiet again. But yeah, delay. Okay. Cool. I've also read I've also read volume one. This is entirely because of you of what <laughs> I now know is called Barefoot Gen. I think is oh, it? okay, yeah. Um, which uh, again, Japanese post-war life, it will break your heart. It really will. Uh, yeah. Um, In fact, we were meant to be doing that. We were meant to be doing that next week because right. I've got uh, Dave on. But work-wise, uh, for a reason we talked about earlier, um, I can't do next week. So it's been put off probably to the start of uh, March. So I'll be chatting to Dave about that. But you can also find the movies of that. The first movie is incredible. The second movie is not so good, but the first movie is free on YouTube as well. Another one where. It's it's really close to what happens in the comic, and that one, like I think you said, is it Home of the Fireflies or whatever? Grave of the Fireflies, yeah. the anime, uh, the the film. Yeah, that yeah. will break your heart, Tony. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know there won't be a dry eye or seat in the house. I'm afraid <laughs> it really it's it, <laughs> that broke me that movie. Yeah, and, and it's beautiful, it's man. glorious, but yeah. it breaks me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. So we'll get your links out of you in a second. Just a little shout-out. I'd like to give a shout-out to... Um, obviously, um, you're a busy fellow on Monday, aren't you? Because it's Valentine's Day. If you want to um, yeah. read a comic that relates to Valentine's Day, why not go to image, imagesdegradingforever.blogspot.com Get a copy of Romance from Mr. Robin Barnard at Barnstormer Comics. Um, I speak to Robin occasionally. He's a good lad. And he's also a collaborator of Dave Robertson's. And he is... Um, a listener to the show. So, hello, dude. Hello, Robin. Thanks for that, mate. And he sent me a, a copy early, so I'm going to give it a shout-out on uh, Sunday's ACP as well. But, uh, yeah, get yourself a copy at degradingforever.blogspot.com. Cool. Thanks, Eamon. A- absolutely brilliant again, man. Like, real insight. Like, this was an absolute joy. Some of them, I'll be honest with you, occasionally someone chooses a comic and I find it something of a chore. But this one was... Uh, I've, I I think I've probably reread it three times and I've constantly dipped back into it. Um, all day today, actually, I was dipping, just just looking at some of the pictures. And we find we find such huge subjects to cover, don't we? Like <laughs> yeah. the entire, yeah. I mean, I know you're doing you're doing lots of manga this month, um, so you've got others coming up. But yeah, I mean, you know, getting to grips with the entire com- culture of Japanese comics is huge. Oh, yeah, and I know I know we've talked about a couple of other, uh, or at least one other huge project that we might do. So yes. yeah. Uh, you always, <laughs> they always end up big, don't they? They do, yeah. Ooh, yeah. Uh, you've done it again. Right at the end of the episode, yeah. we've gone again. But the yeah. uh, good stuff. So where can people find you and where can they find your podcast, man? Uh, you can find Megacity Book Club at megacitybookclub.com and you can find British Invaders at britishinvaders.com and on Twitter, I am at MCBC Podcast. And as long as we're not at war with Russia next week, that's where you'll find all the links and all, <laughs> all the uh, episodes and so forth. Yeah, I'm looking yeah. forward to the new ones, man. You're on fire at the moment. It's, I think I've always enjoyed your podcast, but I think it's the best it's ever been at the moment, which is great. Really good. Oh, thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're, yeah, really you're, you're far too kind. Where can we find all your stuff? <laughs> thank you, mate. It's very kind. Never on anything.com. Um, I'm back on the review bandwagon. Um, there's ones that have gone up all, all this week. So go and have a look at that. You can also find me at patreon.com forward slash tribute press, which is where myself, Adam Falp, and um, our buddy Daryl Thorpe produce comics. Um, we're currently working on something called Flesh and Ink The Funeral which is we have invented a, a really interesting and groundbreaking way of raising people from the dead, and it involves spitting after oral sex. So that's 
that's happening at the moment. The also um, just released is Hank Fur issue one, which tells the story of a, the amazing bullshitting man who also might be um, a cyberpunk furry with a boner. So you can get that from neverironanything.com. You'll find all the links there to the big cartel, etc. Um, thanks for listening. Thanks, Eamon. And um, we'll have a quick chat about our next project, but um, I'll see you in a bit. Cheers, dude. See you in a bit, Tony. Take the blue pill.